It is such a beautiful day outside. Um, it was this week on Monday when it snowed, right? Was it the same week? It seems like a long time ago, but I drove in here on Monday and I took a picture and I posted it on Instagram or whatever. It looked like winter out there. It was this week. And then Tuesday, my son had a baseball game and it was like 48 and kind of sunny and a little bit windy. And we're like, it's beautiful out here. What a beautiful day. That tells you it's been a cold spring here in Idaho. So, oh man, it's awesome to be here. If you're brand, brand new, I see some people I've never met. I'd love to meet you afterwards. Uh, we have this big, giant coffee mug that you can fit like half a pot of coffee in. We'd love to give you one of those. Say thanks for coming. Uh, and I'd just love to shake your hand and hear why you came, how you heard about it. We're just glad you're here. It was a beautiful Mother's Day last weekend. I'm glad the snow held off at least until Monday so we could have Mother's Day with no snow. Mothers and grandmothers, thanks for bringing your kids and your grandkids. Those of you who brought your moms to church and loved on them, thank you for doing that. Uh, it's just awesome to have you. You may have seen, if you're new, you may have seen a stroller sitting in the lobby with formula in it, and you're wondering what in the world the deal is with that. Well, here's what it is. Uh, we are collecting formula for this uh, organization in town called Stanton Healthcare. They're a pro-life organization, and their whole deal is helping single moms to have babies and not terminate the pregnancy. And they, what they do is they commit to giving a mom all the supplies she'll need for the first two years of the baby's life, um, if that will help the mom keep the baby. So we're collecting that stuff, that formula. I know there's a formula shortage. When we decided to do this, there was not this big, giant formula shortage, or at least it wasn't uh, as well known. So I encourage you, if you see some extra on the shelves, buy it, come drop it in there, and we'll take it over to them. They really need it. It's the one thing they always need. But don't buy so much, there's none left for the people who actually have babies right now. So just find a good balance in there. We love to bless Stanton as much as we can, but also make sure we don't buy up all of the formula. I want to say thanks to the men of the church for a great breakfast. It was fun to get the kitchen properly broken in. It was awesome. Yeah, yeah. If you're new, you're like, breakfast? Sorry, you missed out. You'll have to hang out and go to the next one. Uh, we just remodeled the kitchen, and we, and we broke, the, uh, broke the kitchen in properly this morning. It was good. So uh, today, we're going to jump back into Ephesians. We're going to be finishing chapter 3, if you want to turn there and be ready. We've been going through the book of Ephesians, and we took a break for Easter, and we took a break for Mother's Day, and we're back into it for a, a little while here. I know two weeks ago, last time we were in Ephesians, that seems like a long time ago. So we'll talk for just a few minutes about the beginning of chapter 3, so... You have some context there. If you remember at the beginning of chapter 3, Paul, he sounds like he is about to say something really important. But suddenly, Paul does this thing that we all do sometimes, and he goes off on a rabbit trail. Well, I will show you the verse here in a minute, but he's about to say this important thought, and then he just goes completely sideways. Ephesians 3.1, he says this, For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles... And I don't have it on the screen there, but there is a dash in your Bible or three dots, maybe an ellipsis. And what happened is he was writing this and then he had a whole other thought he wanted to stick in there before he got to what he was going to. So you can imagine, right? This is going to be good. Paul's got this great thought. He's writing it in a letter to these Gentiles, but then there's the dash. And Paul goes on this holy rabbit trail. And if you remember two weeks ago, we talked about how Paul had a mission goes on this rabbit trail to talk about a mission. He had been given a mission by God to tell everyone that the Jews and the Gentiles could come to know God in the same way. Up to this point, it hadn't been that way. We've talked a lot about this the first half of the year. And he had been given a revelation that gave him the tools to do this. God gave Paul a specific revelation, what he needed in his heart, and able to preach this to the Gentiles and to the Jews. 
we talked about how in the same way that God has given each of us a mission. And if you were here two weeks ago, I hope you remember that the one thing every Christian has in common is a mission to reach others. Every one of us, if you know the Lord, you have in common a mission with Paul to reach others. God reveals to us what we need to know so we can reach the people around us. And how when we remember how much we've been forgiven of, we can approach that mission with humility. As Paul did. Paul, remember, he called himself at different times in the New Testament, he called himself a servant of the gospel. He called himself the least of all the apostles. The guy who wrote most of the New Testament, he called himself the least of all the apostles. He called himself the worst of all the sinners. See, when we remember what we've been forgiven of, we can approach our mission with humility. And once he finishes that very meaningful rabbit trail, he moves on to something special. And that is this prayer we're going to talk about today. This prayer that's deep within his heart for the Ephesian people. I think what Paul attempts to do is write down in this prayer what is in his heart for those people. You know, like you have, I'm sure some of you in this place, I know I do, you have prayers that just live in your heart for people that are close to you. You don't even really have to say them out loud all the time, but they're just in there. I have prayers that live in my heart for my family, for my wife. Things that I do try to pray every day, but even if I don't, they're just in there. I have prayers that I pray every day for our daughter, Christina, who's 25. Prayers that I pray that are just in my heart for my sons, John, who just turned nine, and my son, Luke. That's what Paul's doing here. He's got this prayer in his heart, and he attempts to get it down on paper here. Like I've been teasing you for the last three weeks, the rest of Ephesians after this, chapter four on, uh, gets into some pretty practical stuff about the Christian life. But Paul first, he feels like he needs to lay this foundation. And with this prayer in the second half of Ephesians, he does exactly that. And these verses, they serve as a transition to the next part of the letter, so to speak. Before it talks specifics with them, he wants to talk about the condition of their heart. Before he starts talking about wives and husbands and unity in the church and humility and how you parent your kids, he wants to talk to them about the condition of their heart. Because we know in life, something is either growing or it's not growing, right? It's either becoming more alive or it's becoming more dead. It's not just staying in the middle. It's, go, it's one or the other. And our goal as believers, hopefully, if we know Christ, is to always be growing, always be moving forward. Now, that's not to say that we are always obviously changing. There's times when growth is happening deep enough inside of it that nobody except us knows it's happening. Sometimes the growth is so slow in there that you can barely tell. How many of you know that's actually the best kind? When the growth is so deep inside of you, no one else sees it. But God's doing stuff inside of you. He's changing you and preparing you. But God's desire for us is that we're always growing. And that's what Paul is writing about here to the Ephesians. And that's why we're talking today about a heart that grows. Because we talk about that, let's read Ephesians three fourteen through 21. I'm reading out of the NIV this morning. And I'm just going to read you these uh, seven verses to get started here. A prayer for the Ephesians. For this reason... I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with the power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people, and to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. 
And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Man, that's a prayer right there. Got three things for you today out of this passage. Three characteristics, I think, of a heart that grows. The first thing is that a heart that grows is humble. Heart that grows is humble. Let's look specifically verses uh, 14 through 16. The beginning there, it says, For this reason I kneel before the Father. Notice something interesting, and this is how we know that Paul kind of took a side road. He writes the same thing at the beginning of verse 14 that he did at the beginning of verse 1. The beginning of verse 1 says, for this reason I, Paul. Beginning of verse 14 says, for this reason I kneel. But this time he goes into what he meant to go into before. For this reason I kneel, Paul says. So what is the reason? For this reason I kneel, what is the reason? Well, if we remember what Ephesians chapter 1 and 2 are about, we know where Paul is coming from. Paul, he's just incredulous at God's goodness and, and, and God's grand plan. He's amazed that God is doing this. Specifically, that God has done two things that fit so wonderfully together. One of those is that God has made a way for every person to individually know God. If you're here today, you need to know, and Paul wants you to know, God wants you to know, every one of you can know God individually. You can have a relationship with the living God, the one who created the universe. Remember one of those incredible verses from chapter 2. It was during the week that we, uh, we called Made Alive. Uh, Ephesians 2, 4, and 5. I'm reading it to you in the New Living Translation today just so you have a little, little different spin on it. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5 in the NLT says this, but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. And this is the important part. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. Only by God's grace we've been saved, friends. The other part of Paul's reason, Paul's for this reason, is that even after we're given uh, salvation, incredibly, somehow, some way, all of us are all joined together. as Not just the, the people that we have here today, but all of us who accept Jesus all over this world, we're all joined together as one church. Ephesians 2.14, again in the NLT, says this, for Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. Paul shows us here that a humble heart is thankful toward God for what he's done. And he describes it by bringing up this act of kneeling. For this reason, I kneel. And even though we know the physical act of that kneeling is meaningful, If we kneel in front of someone, what are we doing? If we kneel on someone, we're showing submission to them, right? You kneel in front of someone, you show submission. Oftentimes, when you kneel in front of someone, you show respect. Sometimes, you'll kneel in front of someone to show adoration to them. And Paul is talking about the physical act of kneeling, but he's also talking more about the condition of the heart. You see, a life that kneels is one that is submitted to God. When our life kneels, it's submitted to God. And when we bow our hearts before him, we are giving up our rights. We're laying down our cause and we're taking up God's cause. 
We're laying down, I'm laying down the cause of John and I'm taking up the cause of Jesus Christ. A life that kneels uh, is one that is submitted to God in a few different things. A life that kneels is one that is submitted to God in time. How and where we spend our time says much about what we're submitted to. We go audit our days. It'll say a lot about what we're submitted to. I, I had a pastor that said, show me how you spend your time and I'll show you how you'll be. Show, I'll show you where you'll be in five years. Now, I'm not saying we spend every waking moment at church. We're not trying to be legalistic here. Uh, I'm not saying you spend every moment here. But I am asking the question, does where we spend our time honor God? Does how we spend our time from the moment we wake up to the moment we go to sleep, does it honor God? A life that kneels is one that is submitted to God in our time. Uh, a life that kneels is one that is submitted to God in our money. Same thing. How we spend our money often says more than our words about what or who we are submitted to. Right? You go look at our checkbook if you still use a checkbook. Uh, look at your cash envelopes and your receipts. That's kind of what we do. Um, if you go look at your PayPal or your Venmo or however you spend your money, right? If you go look at that, it's going to show what we're submitted to. Not that we give every penny to the church, although if you were called to that, I'm happy to talk to you about it. <laughs> but the question is, do we follow God's word when it comes to our money? Do we do what God asks us to do? We talked several months ago about tithing and why we do it. We talked about having a generous heart. Do we give as he asks us to, and do we live with a generous heart? Do we live life with an open hand instead of a closed fist? A life that kneels is one that is submitted to God in money. Finally, a life that kneels is one that is submitted to God in our attention. What commands our attention? It says volumes about what we're submitted to. The things we pay attention to, the things our eyes and our ears are focused on, says a lot about what we're submitted to. There's many things worthy of our attention on this earth that show a humbled heart towards God. You can tell by where someone focuses their attention, um, whether they're humbled towards God. You know, our family, I believe, is something that God calls us to. If our heart is humbled towards God, we're showing attention to our family. I believe, friends, and you will hear this from me probably until the day I die. On this earth, one of our highest callings is to take the best care of our family. Your number one job is to take the best care of your family. I don't care if it's just you and your husband or your wife. Your number one job is to take care of your family, take care of the kids God has given you. You're never going to hear me uh, squawk about a baby squawking in here. So I'm so glad that kids are here. Our number one job is to take care of our family. A life that kneels is one that is submitted to God in our attention. Now, in all of these ways, we exhibit a heart that kneels to God. And we kneel, as Paul did, because of what he's done for us. In redeeming us individually, giving us salvation, and in bringing us together as his church. Verse 15 tells us that a humbled heart understands that every family that knows Christ on heaven and earth, it gets its name from God. Verse 15, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. You see, if we know Christ, we are the sons and daughters of God. That's what it says in the Bible. If you know Jesus, you are a son or a daughter of God. And if we're sons and daughters of God, then we have all the privileges a son or a daughter of God might have. Because of Christ, we have everything, and this life has a meaning. But without him, this life is empty. 
If you don't have them, you might think your life is full, but there's something you're missing. I have this awesome anecdote I ran across this week. It's called uh, Palm Monday. We talked about Palm Sunday before Easter when Jesus rode into town on the colt. Just want to set it up for you. This is called Palm Monday. The donkey awakened, his mind still savoring in the afterglow of the most exciting day of his life. Never before had he felt such a rush of pleasure and pride. He walked into town and found a group of people by the well. I'll show myself to them, he thought. But they didn't notice him. They went on drying their water, and they paid him no mind. Throw your garments down, he said crossly. Don't you know who I am? They might have been surprised by the talking donkey. I'm not sure. Anyway, throw your garments down, he said crossly. Don't you know who I am? They just looked at him in amazement. Someone slapped him across the tail and ordered him to move. Miserable heathens, he muttered to himself. I'll just go to the market where the good people are. They will remember me. But the same thing happened. No one paid any attention to the donkey as he strutted down the main street in front of the marketplace. The palm branches. Where are the palm branches, he shouted. Yesterday you threw palm branches. Hurt and confused, the donkey returned home to his mother. Foolish child, she said gently, don't you realize that without him you are just an ordinary donkey? Without Christ, I'm just a guy. Without Christ, I'm just a guy. Five, seven, no hair, you know, aging very quickly. Just someone trying to survive. But with him, I'm a son of God. And I have all the privileges that a son of God has. Someone who's graced with a mission to tell my family and friends about him. Without him, I'm just a guy. Without him, I'm his son. Or with him, I'm his son. And I've got a mission. Friends, with God, all of us are graced with a mission to tell our family and our, and our friends and others about him. And for that reason, my heart should be humbled that God has given me this mission. And a heart that's humbled is a heart that grows. Also, a humbled heart means that we are confident in Christ and not in ourselves. Now, you're probably thinking that those two things Confidence and humility, they sound like opposites. Well, it all depends on what you are confident in. Because it takes a humble heart to be confident in someone else for our own well-being. You ever ridden in a car when someone else is driving and not been real comfortable with how they're driving? (laughs) I see some husbands raising their hands. You guys probably shouldn't have done that. You're going to get in trouble after church. But you know, you get in a car with someone, it takes a little bit of faith to place your life in their hands. Uh, To be honest with you, when we go on long trips, I have a really hard time sleeping and letting my wife drive. She's a fine driver. She does just fine. She's safe. But I'll close my eyes and like every tap of the brakes, you know, looking around. Takes some faith to have trust in someone else with your life. It takes a humble heart to be confident in someone else for your own well-being. And that's what Paul is praying here for the Ephesians, verse 16 and 17. That out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Paul is praying that these Ephesians, these Gentiles, they would discover gifts, the riches that God has put inside of them. That they would take those gifts and they would submit them back to God and they'd be used by God through his Holy Spirit. And that's so important for us sitting here in church today because it's very, very easy if our heart does not remain humbled to be confident in ourselves instead of in Christ. 
I see some nodding heads. That's good because that means you're in the same headspace as I am sometimes. <laughs> and when we get confident in ourselves instead of Christ, we start to think things inside that they seem crazy to say out loud, but they're in there. I've been going to church since I was a little kid, been working at churches for 20 years, and I've heard things like, well, this church, pastor, no, no, no one here has said this to me. This is other churches, of course. Uh, well, this church, pastor, this church needs me to survive. This church needs my tithe. I was at a church once where someone, they told uh, me that they should get to help choose the songs because they gave a lot of money. Yeah. I've, you know, people will say things, we will say things like, well, if I wasn't here, then fill in the blank thing wouldn't happen. And then the church would probably close its doors. It sounds crazy to say those things out loud, but those of you that have been in church for a while, they can tell you we hear that stuff. (laughs) But friends, when we decide that God's church belongs to us and not to God, then our hearts are no longer humbled. What Paul is telling us here is that a heart that's growing is a heart that is humble. Now, don't get me wrong. God absolutely loves to see us Use those good gifts he's given us in ministry. God made you each to be good at things and do things and help in the church, help with kids and help with worship and help with greeting and counting the money and all that stuff. And God will use those gifts to give them back to him. But we are continually to be handing that ministry back to him. Any gift he gives us, we're to be continually just handing it back to him, allowing him to change it and move it and do whatever he wants. Thankful for what God is doing and also for whatever he has next. You see, Paul tells the Ephesians, and God would have us know today that a heart that grows is humble. And if we're confident, it is in who God is and not who we are. Man, if I'm confident, I want to be confident in who Jesus is and not who John is. Who John is is not that great without God. We also see in Ephesians 3, number 2, a heart that grows is open. Let me read you verse 17 through 19. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And that, friends, is what we place our hope in. And that's simply that Christ dwells in our hearts through faith. Christ dwells in my heart and in your heart through faith. Inside of our hearts is where the true battle is fought. The world that we live in every day, it places huge value, huge focus on what we can see on the outside. The appearance of our everyday lives, how we look and the car we drive and how kind of house we have and and how put together our family seems. Now, again, we don't need to get legalistic and say that we can never pray for physical blessing in our life or even have nice, nice things. But notice that Paul, in his fervent, fervent heart prayer for the Ephesians, he doesn't mention anything like that. Instead, he simply prays what? That Christ would dwell in their hearts. It's part of the beautiful mystery of salvation. That instead of being found in a physical temple or in the Ark of the Covenant, Jesus is instead found inside each one of us. And it's really important that it uses the word dwell here because the word uh, dwell has a particular meaning. When you show up and you dwell somewhere, what do you do? You you make it your own, right? 
going to go dwell somewhere. You make it your own. In your house, uh, you dwell there. You make it your own. My, a great example that I can talk to you about is my office here at the church. That's a place where I dwell. I spend a whole bunch of time there. I'm there, you know, four or five, six days a week, depending on the week. And the longer I am there, the more it looks like a place where I am. So when I very first started, Pastor Tan, the previous senior pastor, he helped me get a desk in there, helped me change a light. And it was pretty much just that, like a desk and a light and a couple things. And, and uh, most of you know that I led worship at my last church for 12 years. And my office there was just like a room full of guitars and amps and music stuff. And I still had all that stuff. But when I started coming over here, we still live in Cuna, 30 minutes away, I was not bringing boxes of music stuff. I was bringing boxes of books. <laughs> but the more time I was in there, the more it started to look like a place where I dwelled. The first things to go up on the wall were my uh, L.A. Dodgers stuff, right? The longer I'm there, it's going to look more like my place. Eventually, I had some time, and I got a bulletin board together, and I put, like, my favorite uh, golf scorecard on there. Uh, you know, some, from some cool places that I've played. I have a, uh, a trail map from Whistler, the ski resort I went to one time. I have my old skis on, on the wall there on this display. I think you can come back and see it. It's, it's coming along. It's pretty cool. I do have my music stuff in there, finally. But the longer I'm in there, the more it becomes mine. It, was, it wasn't this way right away, but now if you go in there, I'm telling you a secret, and you look in the bottom right drawer, there's a whole bunch of snacks. My sons know that. They go in there and they get the snacks. I've got my little coffee and I've got a coffee maker in the back right behind there, right? Brad and Dee brought me a box of chips. So there's a box of chips in there. So I have stuff to nibble on. The longer I'm there, the more it looks like a place where I am. Most of the people that know me, they can walk in there and be like, oh yeah, John hangs out here. There's the Dodger stuff. There's the golf stuff. And our hearts are the same way when it comes to inviting Christ in. He comes and he begins to make our heart his own. We are, of course, saved and redeemed immediately. You need to know that when you say a prayer and you ask Christ into your heart, you're saved, redeemed, you're going to heaven immediately. There's no waiting period. But the longer Jesus dwells in our hearts, the more our heart begins to look like him. You see, a heart that grows is a heart that's open. And when our heart is open, it begins to experience something that's really, really hard to describe. Although Paul's going to give it his best shot in here in some very famous verses. I love the way a New Living Translation puts this next part of verse 17. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. Now, this time of year, we all start to deal with plants and trees beginning to grow, right? I spent uh, the good portion of the day, of the morning yesterday, raking my wife's garden Waking the, raking the weeds out of it. And when the roots of something grow into good soil, it sprouts up as soon as it gets any water. It all depends on where it has been planted. The strength of it depends on how deep the roots are. And for our hearts, when we allow Christ to come and to dwell in us, and remember, when we allow Christ to dwell in us, this means we're allowing him to change us day by day to become more like him and less like us then it will be rooted in his love. Now, love is a thing that's going to keep us strong in this crazy place we call the world. And when the biggest storms come, there's no danger of us toppling over if we are rooted in his love. 
Uh, we might lose a branch or two. But our roots are so deep that we're not going anywhere. I was going to get a picture of it uh, and forgot to today, but we have in our backyard in Cuna this huge, huge willow tree. Massive. And the willow tree is a blessing and a curse. The blessing is that it shades the house on warm days like today. The curse is that it drops a ton of branches (laughs) on the ground. (laughs) We fill trash cans and bags and all kinds of things. But here's the thing about that willow tree. When big storms come through, I mean, this thing is massive, and you can see the roots on the ground. When big storms come through, there's 0% chance that tree is falling over because the roots are huge, and they're way down in the ground. It loses some branches from the top for sure. The ones that are diseased or whatever, you know, they fall off the top, and I go cut them up with my saw and put them in the trash. But there's no chance that that giant tree is going to fall over because it's rooted deeply in good soil. When our hearts are rooted deeply in Jesus, the storms of this life are not going to topple us over. A heart that's open is rooted in his love. But Paul has something very, very important to tell the Ephesians now. This is the crux of the whole thing, that this love isn't just for them, but it's for God's people everywhere. Not just in their city, but it's for God's people everywhere. And Paul, he's maybe given us a preview of where he's going to go in the next, uh, next chapter of his letter. And you, if you look ahead, you can see the heading of chapter 4 is something like unity in the body of Christ or, or something like that, depending on the version you have. And just as a preview for next week, unity in the body of Christ, it begins with and ends with experiencing, experiencing his love. We'll have unity in the body of Christ if we experience his love. And I'll tell you what, something special could happen among a group of people when they regularly experience the love of God together. When you come together with people and you regularly experience Jesus, something special happens. It says right here in Ephesians that when it happens, there's power. And it's so true today, friends, even in this place, in Gage, Boise, 270 East Pennsylvania Street. There's power when we come here and we worship in song together. There's power when we come together and we pray for each other at the altar. We pray for our community on Wednesday nights. If you haven't been on Wednesday, we take the last 10, 15 minutes, we put needs on the screen, and we just pray. There's power when we come together and we preach the gospel to kids on Sundays and Wednesdays, and we baptize them in water. There's power when we bind together and we give to the rescue mission or stand in health care or, or whatever. You see a heart that's growing, it's experiencing the power of God's love. So how do we even describe it? Well, it's pretty tough to put into words, but Paul, he gives it his best shot in this very well-known verse, Ephesians 3, 18, 19, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep It's the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. God's love is so wide that it includes Jews and Gentiles, and everyone in between is a part of his family. Every race on earth is included under the umbrella of Christ's love. God's love is so long that eternity is not enough time to experience all of it. Jeremiah chapter 31, it tells us that he has loved us with an everlasting love, love that never ends. God's love is higher than we could ever imagine and can find us at deeper points than we could ever imagine or hope. 
One of my favorite chapters in the Bible, Psalm 139. Psalm 139, 7 through 10 says this. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, and your right hand will hold me fast. All that to say, this love is too much for us to imagine. But what we can do is what it says right here in verse 18. We can experience it along with God's people. We can discuss it. We can tell stories of his faithfulness, and we can learn from the Bible together. And as we do this, the incredible love of God, it does what verse 19 talks about. It surpasses knowledge, the NIV says. You see, a heart that grows is a heart that is open. And in a heart that's open, God's great love becomes something that we feel and live just as much as as it is something that we know. The surpassing knowledge means we feel it as much as we know it. The more we experience God's love, the more it becomes something that we live rather than something that we describe. We can try to describe it just as Paul does, deep and wide, far and long. And there are sure some admirable efforts, but this is the surpassing knowledge. In a life rooted in God's love, lived along with other believers, it speaks more clearly than what we could ever articulate. You live your life full of Jesus, it will speak more clearly than any words that you could say. You see, a heart that grows is a heart that's open. We go stronger as Christians the more we experience the wide and long, the high and deep love of Christ. The longer that he dwells in us, the more he makes our heart his own. Finally, as we wrap up chapter three, we see this. A heart that grows is expecting. A heart that grows is expecting. Let's uh, read verses 20, 21 once more. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I think God is having Paul write this down. He's asking us a question. God is asking us, do you believe in my sovereign power? Do you believe I made all of this? Do you believe I made all of you? Because if we do believe those things, then we can believe what verse 20 says, that God can accomplish infinitely more. Not only more than we ask, but even more than we think. If we believe this prayer that Paul writes down, then our heart is one that is expecting. Think about that word expecting, right? We often uh, think of it and say it with expecting mothers, right? When someone is an expecting mother and they're far enough along that they start to show, right? It's pretty obvious, although you know you're never supposed to ask how far along they are. You know, they, they tell you you don't ask if you're a male. We call it expecting mother, though, because we absolutely believe that it's happening. Once the baby grows big enough that you can see the baby bump, right? 
We call him an expectant mother because we believe it's absolutely happening. And if our heart is growing, then we believe that what God says is absolutely happening. If our heart is growing, we believe that his word is absolutely true. And friends, I'm here to tell you, God can and he will do more than we can ever ask or imagine. But as we close, I want you to see in these final two verses, because God will do these incredible things. He has done these incredible things. But I want you to see in these two verses just how he does it. At the end of verse 20, it says that this immeasurable power is at work first, you look in your Bibles, in us. Now, if that's true, and if we believe it's true, if his power is at work in us, then there's no limit to what we can do when we're a part of God's family. Those of you that know Christ here, there's no limit to what you can do when you're a part of God's family. It's important for you to know today there is no limit to God's forgiveness. You can't exhaust it. Like Psalm 139 says, there's no place you can go that's too far that you can get away from it. I'm going to have you bow your heads and close your eyes this morning just for a moment. For those of you that are facing obstacles today, struggles or addictions or pain that you've been wrestling for what seems like forever on your own, his power, friends, when you accept him, it's at work within you. But you need to know, yes, God is kind. He's forgiving. We can do all things through him, but the only way to salvation is through Jesus. You can't earn it by being good enough. I could never earn salvation. You can never earn salvation. We have a couple more things to talk about, but before we do, I just felt like I needed to at this point in the message, if you're here, um, and you don't know the Lord, or maybe you have before and you're far from him, I need to give you a chance to accept him today. So if God's been speaking to you as we've been talking, as we were seeing earlier, you were feeling his presence and you were wondering what it was. Just know beyond the shadow of a doubt that it was his presence. It was God speaking to you. The word of God says in John chapter 1 then, that we accept Jesus into our hearts when we acknowledge who he is, the son of God. So if you're here today, friends, I just want to give you a chance. No one's looking around. It's just me. If we need to, we'll all pray together. Is there anybody here today um, who needs to accept Christ for the first time or rededicate your life to him? Uh, we just want to pray and agree with you. If that's you today, I'm going to count to three. And would you just raise your hand so I can see it and we can pray? One, two, three. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Put your hand down. Here's what we're going to do, church. Get some hands raised this morning. So we are going to repeat a prayer together. Those of you that know the Lord, uh, you're going to repeat this prayer just agreeing in faith with those who have raised their hands. So before we close today, would you all repeat this prayer with me? Dear Jesus, thank you for this day. Today, I believe you are the Son of God. You came to earth. You lived a life with no sin. And you died. And you rose again. Today I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I give my life to you. In your name, amen. Amen, amen. 
Those of you that said that prayer for the first time, or maybe the millionth time, but this time you meant it. It's a new day in your heart. So prepare to sing together in a moment, friends. Um, I want us to see what Paul says in this final couple sentences of chapter 3. His power is at work within us. But then we see what's next. His power also is at work within the church. And I quote it often. I always have. Do not give up on the habit of meeting together. Don't give up on the habit of going to church. You're never going to find a perfect church. You know why? Because it's full of imperfect people. But do not give up on the habit of meeting together. Whether you're from here, you're from another state, whatever. Find a church and go to it. Do not give up on the habit of meeting together because His power is at work within us. But it also says, verse 21, to Him be glory in the church. And then from the church, it's throughout all generations. So His power is at work within us, within me and within you. And His power is at work within the church. And then His power is at work throughout all generations. I hope you can see, friends, where Paul's going here. That when we live in this incredible love that God has sent through his son, the heart is humbled. And the heart is open. And we can be expecting that he's going to move in his church, the big C church all over the world, but in this church, he's going to move in his church powerfully. And that this morning, friends, is how we're going to end. They're going to prepare to lead us for a few moments and we're going to worship together for a few moments with humbled hearts. We're going to be open to what he wants to speak to us. I believe that God may be speaking to some of you about ways you can minister, ways you can use your gifts. He's going to speak to you new things to pray for in this moment. We're going to be open to what he wants to do. We want to expect him to move in our church. And indeed, we want him to move throughout the generations from the youngest to the oldest. you stand with me. Lord Jesus, I pray that as we worship, every one of our hearts would be turned a little more into a heart that is prepared to grow. Lord, we come to you in humility. We come to you uh, just expecting you to do good and new things. We place our hope and our trust 100% in you this morning. Let's sing together, friends.